Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Good morning or afternoon, wherever you're listening. This is Jeffrey Tiefertiller with the Service Management Leadership Podcast. I have the distinct pleasure of having Katrina McDermott back on the show. She was our very first podcast guest almost a year ago. Kat, it's awesome having you back. How are you? I'm very well, Jeffrey, and I cannot believe it's been a year since we met last. It's gone. And, you know, that was a first podcast. I didn't know what I was doing. Some may argue that I still don't. But I was like, do I want to do this every week? And it's been a blast getting to meet a lot of really sharp people like yourself. And, you know, just having these conversations with people in the industry, just, just talk shop is always fun with me. Absolutely. I think we are very like-minded, Jeffrey. We could talk about this stuff <laughs> for days. And, and Jeffrey, if I may thank you on behalf of our community for your continued passion and uh, informative, uh, controversial sometimes, <laughs> uh, contribution to service management. You know, myself and my colleagues and peers continually enjoy listening to you and watching you. So I just wanted to, to say thank you. Oh, thank you. I just try not to be controversial, but I end up there too often, right? I end up like having the, you know, a lot of times you start off thinking I'm in the, I have the majority opinion and then you really aren't right. And you're thinking, how did I get here? Maybe. I, and so I enjoy, not enjoy, but I don't mind being the, the minority opinion because sometimes it's good for me to say, where are my blind spots? Am I looking at this wrongly? How can I learn from this from people that know a lot? And so that's why I, I really enjoy this. Well, well, perhaps I should have said uh, thought provoking. That's what you <laughs> I don't mind being the, the the controversial one. I just sometimes it comes more natural than I'd like it to be. How about that? And so I, I don't it's not, you know, some people love being that person. I I don't as much. So you have a background that's super interesting to me in the how you have married the two of IT service management, ITIL stuff, with human-centered design. And most people think, how are these two coming together? So let's, most people know service management. So what is human-centered design and how is it applicable to the delivery of IT services? Great. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a story, if I may, about how my journey started. Uh, as you know, I worked for Qantas Airways for many years, and my role there was I was service designer. Um, that was my role. So, if, of course, you know Jeffrey from ITIL V3. There was a phase in the life cycle called service design, and that's what I did. And I had a LinkedIn post, uh, sorry, a LinkedIn profile that said I was a service designer. And do you remember what some of the outcomes were from that from that phase? You know, value for money and customers. Oh, yeah. And uh, an academy in Sydney contacted me via LinkedIn, and they said, based on your profile, we think you'd make a really good uh, lecturer at our college in human-centered design. So I was service designer, and then human-centered designer, and I'd never heard of human-centered design. Um, and that's how it started. And, and long story short, I, I had the opportunity to attend classes and then actually to end up teaching. And whilst I was sitting in one of the classes and we were doing um, techniques of human-centered design, such as journey mapping and personas, I'm like, why don't we use this in ITIL and IT service management? And um, just this light bulb moment of really understanding the customers and emphasizing customers and their experiences. 
as opposed to getting out what I quite often say, the Visio diagram and start doing maps and decisions and, and things like that. We actually don't even look at that really in design thinking. So that was my moment of, right, why don't we use this? And that's how it all started. And so what is human-centered design? It really is <laughs> just about, it's a form of problem solving and understanding who you're designing your services for, empathizing with them. And I quite often, um, when, I, when I do training, we, we use a term called picnic in IT. Have you heard of that in America, Jeffrey? Picnic? No, but I'm interested to hear this. Well, picnic is a problem in chair, not in computer. <laughs> oh, we have other, we have another, we have others, but you yes. know, ours is more of idiot between chair and, and computer. But that's yes. a that's more of an Americanism, I guess. Yeah. But the same sentiment is, you know, us in IT, we tended to think, oh, those users are so silly. Why can't they do it that way? And 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 to be honest, I was a bit like that. And I hear that quite often. Oh, but we do knowledge articles, or we put out um, notifications, but nobody reads them. Right. So this is about, okay, let's go and understand why. What do our customers or consumers, or what are we going to call them users, want? How do they read articles? What resonates with them? And again, you know, I'll, I'll refer to Article 4 here, you know, uh, remove waste, focus on value. Like if it's not adding value, why do it? Why publish knowledge articles if nobody's reading them? Think of another way to do it. And this is where another key tenant of, of human-centered design is co-designing, co-creating. So ask users in the room, how do you like to learn? Is, is it about re reading a knowledge article? Typically not. You know, it could be um, workshops or, you know, ask, ask don't, don't make assumptions in IT. Yeah. I would even, so I think of it through the ITIL lens, if I can push in. How many, how many times have you and I seen change enablement, change management, have windows that are best for the IT people, not for the business, not for the, not for the others or you know things of that nature where we're not even considering i want to say that 360 view of of that whole service we're providing we see our part we have these myopic glasses on but we don't see how other people view what we're doing absolutely and i mean there's so many examples and i think it is good that great actually that there is this um refocus on experience but I also am passionate about you can't just say it right you have to it is a technique it is a skill um, and that's something that my company also trains in is human-centered design married with IT and ITIL service and IT service management you're right though experience management is popular nowadays just those two words put together with a little hashtag in front of them on LinkedIn you see it everywhere right and so I think this is my view. Now I'll ask a question at the end. I think it's because we have focused so much on my view, not yours, technology, because we think technology fixes everything without saying, how does my technology impact you as a human? You know, and so you mentioned the notifications that come out of ITSN tools look like a third grader wrote it, you know, and we think, how is this person consuming that? So two questions for you. Do you think we've shifted towards technology? Because I don't want to project that onto you. And if so, how do we shift things back towards a people-centered, human-centered way of looking at problems and doing uh, IT service delivery? 
Yeah, I, th I do in that uh, regarding the technology, there is a, in my experience, um, you know, the tool is the answer. Yes. And, and there is a saying that um, a fool with a tool is still a fool. <laughs> you know, it is, it's not the answer. And another key technique in human-centered design is prototyping. And, you know, do it on pen and paper first. Do it on, um, bear with me, <laughs> a spreadsheet until oh, yeah. you understand the experience and then go to the tool. The tool is not the answer. It certainly helps, absolutely. But don't go to the tool first. Uh, and, I, and I had an example the other day, Jeffrey, um, I was doing some consulting and I, I asked the, the group, can you lead me through how a user uh, logs a service request? So we started the tool up, clicked on, I want something, I think the option was. And then they, they just went to the next button. I said, no, no, stop. Can you show me what's in that drop-down list? And as you can imagine, it was very technical. Uh, there was probably 200 options. And I, you know, I said, guys, where do you think that this is okay? And they said, yeah, yeah, we know, Kat. I go, but why, why do you do this? Why are you allowed? And there's, and there's always, I think, reasons, you know, projects uh, run out of time, out of money, we'll just do this and we'll, we'll fix it later, which never gets fixed, or very rarely in my experience. And they said to me, Kat, you know, 90% of these tickets logged are other, and then other. <laughs> and then so what does the service desk need to do? Contact the user and probably not having the great comms either to do that. So it just creates this really poor experience for not only the user, and I'm also passionate about for the employee as well. So this is a real... Uh, another key tenant of human centered design, do things in really small incremental steps. So when I hear, oh, we're going to fix incident management or we're going to do service request, don't try and fix everything. Like just maybe just fix logging or acknowledgement, get some wins there, get that involvement from the users who are creating that experience for, stop, checkpoint, then perhaps move on. But trying to fix the whole, in, in one go, very rarely works in my opinion. So back to your question, you know, I, I agree that there is this perception that especially with tooling and the, um, the, the push for automation, um, you know, bad experience, I'm sure you've we've all been aware and you've Jeffrey with, you know, chatbots. Yes. Yes, great experience, great example of experience there. It's one that, and you know, chatbots is a, challenge for us in the service management world because a lot of people don't know how to categorize changes against it or incidents against it, not to mention the knowledge behind it. But you brought up something on the human-centered side that I want to push in on. I had a recent post out there where, and I want you to push back on me if you think I'm wrong, that every organization can do two things to help the experience of the users and their people and save money. One is investing in more knowledge management knowledge articles because there's the, the percentage of your workforce that would rather google something as a verb than call somebody is growing and those of us that would rather call someone that number is shrinking and investing in your l1 service desk to take l2 and l3 calls because nobody that calls in likes to be put you're waiting 30 seconds now you, it took them three minutes to know they can't help you so you're on hold for another little bit and then the next person needs five minutes to know they can't help you. That's a bad experience and it's costly. 
And so those are my two things that I tell people, if you want to save money and improve your experience, invest in knowledge management in your service desk to handle more L2, L3 calls. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. And it reminds me, I also did a post not long ago um, with the illustration and the heading was um, the usual suspects. And when uh, IT organizations want to do an improvement or transformation, invariably um, instant problem and change is selected um, and problem lower priority. And I like to say the unusual suspects. And if I am passionate about what should be done first is knowledge management. Mm -hmm. And another key technique, well, what we do human-centered design for is problem solving. So problem, we should be doing problem management. And we, we, we start off on the wrong foot. Like we really do, Jeffrey, we are designing that something's going to go wrong. Yes. Instant management first is the first thing we do. So you're assuming that something's going to go right. And I appreciate that we will we'll always have flaws in IT, always, but let's design for prevention. And how do you do that? Through knowledge and through problem. And problem management and problem solving is not like looking at how many tickets we have or you know, linked records to incidents. You know, that's not really in human-centered design, that's not what problem solving is. It is a technique and that's what we, we train in, in our uh, consulting and training courses. So absolutely agree with you 100%. Forget the tool, let's look at knowledge and problem management first. And I'm sure one thing that you'll agree, and I know it's passionate to you, also monitoring and event management and yeah. Yeah, CMDB to help be the function part of all that, right? The foundational, be able to support it. And there's a couple of things you mentioned there that really struck me is because knowledge is an afterthought for most, most places. And they, there's not even that, that thought, to how do we make sure it's relevant and, are, and accurate? Because we should be able to run reports, see what users are, are searching for and make sure the knowledge in those areas are top notch, you know, make sure that's great. Make sure that every time we put new functionality in place that we have updated knowledge so that this goes on. I was consulting with a company that they would push defects live and not tell the service desk. And I was yeah. like, you're, you're just creating madness for your service desk and your consumers because the people in IT on the dev side, they knew those were because they weren't showstoppers. We can go live with them. But I was like, those known errors that they become and the workarounds for them, we, we pretty much need to make sure that everybody knows those right out the bat. But this is this is where, you know, where I say transformation versus improving. Like what I would encourage is and that's what we do exactly, you know, knowledge articles if something's broken. So what we, we flip that around in, in human-centered design is how do we create our products and services that users do not need to call the service desk? Right. So it's not, it's, so it's a different type of metric. Again, we're assuming something's going to go wrong or, or users don't know how to do something. So if we do that prototype and we understand where there are difficulties in usage, we then now go back to our product and make it better. So we're deflecting those calls to the service desk and we're, we're creating a better experience. So it really is a different way of looking at service management. And I say that from my experience, because as I said, before I learned about human-centered design, I was very much structured in a traditional way of doing service management. And now I, I have flipped it completely around. It's about ensuring that your products and services 
are at such a level that users are not going to call the service desk. And as I said, I appreciate there's always going to be instances, but it's again, this mindset and culture way of thinking um, that we're designing these products and services with the user experience. I have a story for you. So Kat, well, let me back up. Kat mentioned that she had a LinkedIn post. By the way, hers are very pretty, mine are not. I just throw that away. I work somewhere and I'm, gonna, I'm doing this just to get a reaction out of you, Kat, uh, who the, I had service transition, CSI, process, knowledge, config, change, all that stuff. My counterpart that had service operation would manually take the P1 and P, P1 problems and incidents and make them P2s and P3s so that he could hit his SLAs, right? And, you know, it, 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 it strikes me, it hits me across the face that we're measuring the wrong things when that is acceptable. We're really, we should be saying, so how do we manipulate the SLAs? It should be, okay, what does our customer need? How do we prioritize that? But anyway, I'll get your reaction because that always just floors me from a human-centered point of view because it's not, it's worried about the SLA, the SLA is not the business. Absolutely. And, and you hit a point there, Jeffrey, that, you know, I do go to um, IT organizations of, of major companies and, and the talk is being talked, you know, we want to do, think about the customer and be more customer centric. And I say, can I have a look at your P3 and P4? And yes, you know, the famous saying, we could light birthday candles on them. Yes. <laughs> that, you know, they, they get low priority. And I'm like, well, if you're really serious about the customer experience or user experience, why have you got these tickets? Because the P3 and P4 is really about experience, not yep. so much about something's broken. It's usually, in my experience, um, the user didn't know what to do. It's a knowledge. They need help. It's not, it's not an incident. About 70% of my research shows that P3 and P4 is not the true incident. They are other things that we can use. So if you, as I said, if you're serious about it, take the tooling away. Um, and, and it gives me a great opportunity to introduce, you know, what we're currently working on about to be launched is human experience agreements. So think about the human element, not the technology element or the service level agreement. It's the human experience for both the service desk analyst, for the user, and also what I think is really important that we forget too, and that's why we've called them human experience agreements. What about the vendor, the right. supplier? You know, this whole ecosystem of experience that we need to be thinking about. And that's what we do in our framework called human experience agreements. That's awesome. Happy to hear more about that. So we talked about the, um, I'm, a, I'm a nerd for all this stuff. I enjoy it because I do think that we have focused, my view, I don't project it onto you, technology so much that here in our society, especially in the US, the pendulum swings and sometimes it overcracks and then it swings back. And I feel the shift seismically. I feel like it's really starting to pick up where people are starting to think, okay, I had a change that caused an incident. Okay, we had an outage, we know how long it is. But what is the, the impact on my business customer? What are the capabilities they could not do and what did that do to all of our staff? We had to put on high alert to be able to resolve this. Now let's roll that tape and look at it from all directions. Exactly. And, and why, did, why did the person that did the change or human, I should say, do the change? Why, why, did, he, why did it fail from a human right. element? And remember, in, and I'm sure it's still there, um, 
the uh, what, what do we call it? When you said well, the failed change reason, it was we used to say human error. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and that was it, really. But let's look at that in more detail. What what the why? Like why did that human do that error rather than just ticking a box? Yeah. I had a gentleman break down and cry during a PIR or post implementation review session, and you think. It's painful, right? You, you feel their pain. And so that's just, they were an analyst putting in a change, you know? And so how do we, how do we do things better? How do we, you know, our technology is getting better and better. So let me rephrase what I've been saying. Our technology is getting better and better. Our people side and process side have to be better at the same rate. Maybe if I repackage it in that way, that what we're doing from the people side has to keep pace with our growth in the technology side. Is that reasonable? Absolutely. And, but I also think too that, uh, yes, technology is getting better, but better does not always equal a good experience. Exactly. That's why we have to be better on our people side and our process side, because if not, the technology is like the, the uh, non-driverable, non-driver cars, right? Those can go pretty well, but <laughs> I'm still leery about getting in one, right? You know, I'm, I'm great to watch other people get in those. I'm not, I'm not so faithful yet. And I think of it the same with technology. And I also think it is important um, for IT professionals, what we used to think was, it's okay. Or perhaps a bit like myself in my old days, we didn't actually really understand. We really need to think about the experience because if you do, you're going to deflect calls to the service desk. Yeah. So it's a win-win. And then, you know, our service desk analysts, which are, you know, fantastic people, um, can do more productive work. Oh, yeah. And and what we're also introducing, which I think is really interesting that a few of my clients love the idea, is quite often, if not always, we have automated surveys that we send out to users which I don't agree with, but anyway, that's another, <laughs> that's another topic. So what we also get is the service desk analysts to fill out a survey about the user. So we've turned it around. And so the next time that user rings, our service desk analyst has an understanding of that user. Um, and that, so this user might be a bit rude, might be a bit abrupt, so they're better equipped to handle that. And so that's, that's an example of um, human experience agreements from all angles. It's a must be a two-way or even a three-way street sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah, especially in our world that has people love it, anonymous feedback to a fault. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, people get brave in an anonymity. And so, and I say that just that's just the way it is. Any of us that have public content we put out, there are a lot of brave anonymous people that you wish that you could say, hey, let's just have a conversation. I'm sorry you feel that way. Let's just talk about it. But you, they won't go that far. But it's interesting because, for example, so so what what we what we do in in my framework is that, like, say, for example, um, I ring up a service desk, and I might have not been very polite, <laughs> but I'm I'm quite computer savvy, so that will go against me. Yeah. You know, is very savvy. You can talk intact, talk to her might get frustrated easily. So, and then another person might ring up that is not tech savvy and might be, needs better explaining. So straight away, you've got that better experience rather than, yeah, yeah 
someone ringing up. And again, it's it's proving really effective and also empower service desk analysts that they're empowered with knowledge um, to answer a call or to respond to an email because they understand that you you not you might not be very tech savvy as opposed to someone that is. Yeah. If you want the kindest people in IT, it's always the service desk people because they get they get abused day in day out and seem to come back for more the next day with a great attitude. And Absolutely. those are the people like if you want to hang out on the weekend with someone, it's got to be the service desk people because of all they go through. But that's and we don't record that. You know, I'm not going to say, but maybe me, I've rang up three times and I've been really rude. That's not recorded anywhere. No. So what we do is we record that and we can actually do something about it. So if I ring up next time and the service desk, well, I mean, why should the service desk analyst put up with that? It would get put to somebody else. Yeah. So again, it's just really looking at service management in a really different way. And, and as you know, Jeffrey, my catchphrase is, you know, if best practice is so best, why do most people think IT is rubbish? So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's one of those that you and I could speak long time about how people outside of IT view IT people. And I, I say that because sometimes we're stuck in our own myopic uh, view and we just can't say that, yeah, they think we're a bunch of idiots. Yeah. And how about why don't we think about, yeah, the experience and, and this is this right and that's again a, a huge tenet of um human-centered design is put yourself in the user's shoes walk wow. with them and, and i mentioned uh, just earlier jeffrey that i i don't like the surveys that get sent out um i, I have a bit of a slide deck with a bit of tongue-in-cheek that has these scenarios and one of the scenarios is um someone saying we smashed it service desk um, survey 93% satisfaction rate. Someone in the background saying with a 3% response rate. Exactly. Tell me who those 3% are, and then I'll tell you how successful that other percentage is, right? Yeah. And again, you know, what we do again in, um, in our framework with human experience agreements is we measure, we don't measure at the end only, we measure along the way. And that gives us a better understanding of our user's experience or human experience and how we can improve them along the way. I'm with you there. So as we start to wrap up, you and I could talk a long time. We've talked a little bit about how we got here. So what does the future hold for this human perspective of service management? You say human-centered, but let's just say perspective of you know, caring about people's experiences all the way around, you know, whether it's the user or the consumer or the provider. What's the future of this? I'm, I'm very excited because I think, as I said, like, you know, five years ago, we kind of said we did it, but I don't think, as I said, that we were armed with the knowledge of how to do it. We followed best practice. And, and as I said, you know, best practice, so best say no more right. and I can see a real step change in um, especially my region of organizations investing in, in what I do my passion about including the experience because again it's a no-brainer if, if if you're happy the customers are happy your employees are happy the suppliers are happy should be a lot yeah. better off absolutely and but again I, I do have to you know stress that it can't just happen no. like that it, it is a, a, a big cultural change, uh, change to, to contracts, 
so that's a really big change, Jeffrey. Yeah. Um, how we, you know, we, we are traditionally doing service level agreements. Most, if not all, contracts are written um, for financial burden. And as you know, that's my background. Um, that's part of my masters of writing outcome-based agreements and service level agreements. That's a big change. But I, I do believe that this is a reality. It's a small step, but I think just doing it small and, and changing that mindset, um, forget about technology. Let's think about the experience for everybody, for all humans. Oh, yes. And because they're the ones that deliver. So you have you, awesome guests, awesome appearance, just like last. So if, if someone's listening, somebody's watching, they say, I really dig what Kat is talking about. I want to learn more. How can they get in touch with you, Kat? So my LinkedIn profile, we can message you there, or my, my website also, katrinamcdermott.com. Um, but perhaps LinkedIn, as you know, and like you, I'm very active on LinkedIn, and I love hearing from our community and to really support all of us. So that, that's yeah, the best way. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you. Yeah. You've had a lot going on this year. I think this last year, you have done more. I think of Tilly and your portal. I think of all your, you, you mentioned these stories. You've had a, a pretty, uh, pretty strong year. Hopefully it continues for you. We support you from across the pond. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. And again, thank you for your support. I really appreciate it. Oh, we're happy to. Have a great day. Thank you, Jeffrey. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye -bye.